Hi, this is Zed from Just Saying Asia, and I'm here, Just Saying, with the legendary and iconic Misha Tate. Hi, Misha, and you know, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. So, Misha, you know, you have, you are an icon in the MMA world, right? What was it like? Um, can you tell us just a little bit about how you started in MMA? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I got my start in um, a form of mixed martial arts you know, wrestling in high school. So I started at about age 15 and I, at that point really had no intention of competing in any other form of martial arts. And um, but lo and behold, you know, I think destiny is, is a very real thing. You know, if the opportunity presents itself, I've always been somebody to just kind of like take it. And sometimes I fall right on my face and other times, you know, I get up and shine for it. So this is one of those opportunities I think at the beginning, people were like, you're crazy. What are you thinking? Um, I was 19 years old, stumbled across a sport of mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. um, at first was hesitant, like, you know, I think I just want to learn jujitsu, which is something that was easy to build off with wrestling as the background. Um, but I also didn't really know much about, you know, mixed martial arts and, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and competing, you know, hand to hand competition. So, um, I went and watched my first uh, live event. It was just an amateur event in Yakima, Washington, and um, I was t I was so inspired by the end of it. I really had uh, no idea that it would light a fire in me the way that it did. But I was just like, my my heart rate was elevated, and I was just so invested. And I thought it was amazing what I saw. I mean, it was totally counterintuitive to what I thought it would be like to watch two people put on four ounce gloves and fight essentially. And I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. I thought that they left everything that they had there for everybody to see. And I was like, man, I, I could, I want to do that. I want to do that. And I just made up my mind that night that I wanted to do it. And three weeks later, I had my, my very first competition. Right. And you know, today, MMA is one of the biggest and most vibrant forms of uh, sport entertainment, if you will. Um, back then, it was pro wrestling. I mean, everybody, we used to get it here in Asia, in Singapore, everyone is big about that. Um, were you surprised how it's taken, uh, how, you know, it's gone from how big it is today? basically. Oh, I mean, I think if you look at the, the trajectory from like when it's really started to where it is today, I, mean, I think it's pretty incredible, actually. You know, it, it's the world's fastest growing sport and um, continues to maintain a strong presence. And I think, you know, it's close um, and, and will someday probably be on par with what, you know, in the Western world we, with NFL and the NBA yeah. and the NBL. But I think what's special about it, and especially with one championship, what they're doing here in Asia, is that Asia has never had their own sport like that. Mm -hmm. um, and why not martial arts? I mean, this is the birthing ground of martial arts, right? I mean, we were just talking right before we started the interview about how each country here in Asia kind of has their own version of martial arts. And, you know, often I think almost everybody here that I meet has done some form of martial arts, either as a child or somewhere in their career. I mean, it's so ingrained in the culture in Asia that for me, I think it is the perfect sport to flourish, you know, with the, with the ingrained culture like this. Yeah, I mean, I would totally agree. I mean, uh, when you mention, say, Jiu-Jitsu, Aikido, mm -hmm. um, Judo, or, or judo Muay Thai, all, all roots in Asia. Yeah, all roots in Asia. So I think most of that, and you know, a lot of people say they call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, right? Because that's the Brazilians kind of made it 
famous, but it actually started in Japan. It's Japanese jujitsu originally. So, I mean, again, that's where the art was birthed and then it's flourishing all over the world. But you come back to the roots, right? People have a heavy appreciation for real martial arts in Asia. What was it like as a woman, as you know, a female athlete coming and breaking into an industry that's, you know, a bit more, especially back then when you're still very much more male dominated. Um, what was that like? It was certainly an uphill battle. And fortunately, I haven't been um, one to really listen to naysayers. And, and I've just, I don't know if it's um, that I'm stubborn or if it's just I choose not to or if I'm just oblivious. I mean, I think it's probably all the things in combination because there certainly were a lot of people saying that this is not a sport for women. I mean, I would say the overwhelming majority either had something negative to say or at the very least were just not supportive. The point when I started though, um, for women, I mean, we were really facing an uphill battle. I mean, if you imagine men were facing an uphill battle, I mean, then, then, then you add the women to that, trying to get the acceptance, you know? There's a lot of glass ceilings that had to be broken through and barriers that had to be knocked down. And, um, you know, I give a lot of credit to Scott Coker back in the day, giving Gina Carano and Chris Cyborg a main event slot on, on television, you know, on Showtime for the first, I mean, those were, groundbreaking moments you know and there's right. a few of those throughout history that really kind of set the course for women and to, to prove that um, we we could draw and we could entertain and we can do you know do it all just as well yeah. as the guys do and I think that's one thing I noticed about one championship is that uh, you have for your um, for your events you've got just as many male fighting cards as well as the female ones mm -hmm. so is that something that uh what, what do you think it's like now for a female fighter that says that i want to break into the industry is still tough um look it's different than it used to be i think um it's certainly much easier much more widely accepted and the beautiful thing about one championship was you know um they never set a like a, a segregation for males and females it has always been an equal playing playing field from the day that one championship was founded and i think that's just amazing because it hasn't been that way for every organization throughout history so um that's wonderful to see that women do have an opportunity you know now culturally i think sometimes this is where we still get a bit of an uphill battle you know throughout there are parts of asia and and even other parts of the world that aren't as maybe forward thinking as the Western world is mm -hmm. um, that are that still kind of pull the reins back on the females, whether it's, you know, the parents not wanting their daughters to do it, but they're OK with their sons. You know, this is something that I feel like when I was younger, when I was a child growing up, that was something that was still a common mentality in the U.S. Right. Um, but now we still see it in other parts of the world and some parts of Asia. So my goal here being in Singapore, relocating, being a part of one championship, you know, I hope that I can be a voice for these ladies. I mm -hmm. hope that I can be somebody that they could maybe use as an example of like, no, women can do this and they have done it. Like, here's the proof, you know, like, please don't um, take that opportunity for me. And I always encourage parents, you know, to treat their daughters the same as their sons. You know, if they would allow their son to do it, don't hinder your daughter. You know, she's really no different. Yeah. Um, and she should be entitled to make her own opinions and her own choices. And I mean, if it wasn't for my parents, you know, allowing me to make my own choices, even when they didn't totally agree.
wrestlers? Because my dad did not like the idea of me wrestling. I mean, first my mom and I hid it from him at first. <laughs> but once my mom realized that I was, it wasn't just a fad and I wasn't going to quit after two weeks, that I actually liked it and I was going to stick with it, then we had to break the news to my dad. He did not love it. I think he would have preferred if I didn't do it. And then when I started fighting when I was in college, you know, my parents were both kind of like, what is, what the, you know, this is crazy. This is a terrible idea. Like, why, you know, why spend all this money on an education if you just want to get hit in the head? But now they realize, you know, that by allowing me to be my own person mm -hmm. and make choices and make mistakes and sometimes be wrong and sometimes be right, you know, if, if they would have had their way, I would have never pursued this as a career, career. And I never would have been a world champion. And I never, I wouldn't be in Singapore right now. I'm in all the wonderful, amazing opportunities and the life that I have been able to build for myself and my family has come from me making those, what people thought were crazy decisions at the time. And they were crazy decisions at the time, but that should be a fundamental right for everybody. Right. You know, and you are, I would say, basically the perfect example. You came in when it wasn't popular, broke those glass ceilings, became world champion. And now you're in the more corporate aspect of things. Mm -hmm. So a little bit on that. So what is it like now leaving competitive <sighs> and more on the corporate aspect of MMA and with one championship? Well, I think once you're competitive, you're always competitive. So it just translates. Sometimes you 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 just take a different turn. You take a right turn, you take a left turn, but you're always going to be a competitive person. And I see myself um, getting more competitive in the business industry. You know, I have a lot to learn. I'm very humble in that. You know, I'm certainly not a world champion in business. I would say Chatri is, but, um, you know, he's a wonderful role model and he's uh, already taught me a lot, inspired me a lot. And um, what is it? I mean, the, the transition between the two, it's night and day. It's totally, I mean, it's its totally different in the aspect that before I was training, you know, my physicality along with my mentality to, to perform on a stage with everyone watching, right? right? And I think in the corporate world, you know, it's more about teamwork because um, no... I, Nobody can really um, excel without somebody else helping them, I feel like, you know, and we all have to work together in one championship. There's nobody who's really um, necessarily above anybody else because it all has to work together. And, and yes, of course, in mixed martial arts, it has to work together, too. But basically what I'm saying is, you know, um, I have had to learn and be instead of, you know, being the best of the best. Right. I'm coming in as a small fish in a big pond. And I have had to take a lot of lessons and bumps and bruises and make mistakes along the way because this is not my forte. This is not what I grew up with. But I will say that I offer a very unique perspective because not many CEOs or um, exec executives or leaders um, maybe have the prerequisites that I have. Mine are very unique, having been an athlete first. So yeah. I'm the person a lot of times people go to and ask, like, Misha, is this a good idea? Should we do this to our athletes? Should we interview them right before they go out for a fight? And I'm like, no, you, you guys, that's the one time. Like, give them two hours before. It was like, that's the time that they need to focus, you know. So I think my insight is valuable in that way that um, I do have a different perspective. You know, and speaking of competition and how competitive it is, when you look at one championship, you see the way, or at least from the outside looking in, I, I see it's very interesting of how you're diversifying what mm -hmm. you're doing. So it's you've got the fight championships, and then you've got esports, 
And now you've got The Apprentice Show. Yes. So uh, One Championship is launching The Apprentice uh, in Asia with its own twist. So from what I understand, it's got as much physical challenges as they are um, geared towards business acumen. But what is it like then to... So you, you've said a bit about working at One Championship, but what do you think is expected from this person that comes out that um, and then gets that role in One Championship by winning this competition? Well, look, I think this is going to be the most challenging version of The Apprentice because there are physical challenges. And I don't want to scare anybody because it doesn't mean that this is this is not for you. It's And, and you don't have to be a professional athlete. You don't even have to have prior martial arts experience to do this. But I think the important part of this and the messaging here is that the mind and the body work as one, right? So you have to be willing to, to, if you really want to be the best of the best, I think you should be willing to push yourself in every facet of life. And that's kind of what The Apprentice is going to be about. And the applications are flooding in right now. They're going through thousands of them to try to pick just 16 contestants, right? This opportunity is once in a lifetime. I can tell you working under Chaudhry is, um, <laughs> it's intense. Oftentimes I describe it as fiery because I think fiery encompasses so many different ways that I feel like Chatri can be. He's fiery when he's passionate. And sometimes you also feel like you're in boiling hot water, like if you make a mistake. So, I mean, it, the pressure is really on, um, you know, but he's an amazing boss. I had actually boss. I don't even like to use the word boss. He's amazing leader. He's more than a boss. He's a mentor and he will pull or force the most out of you. Um, but that's, that's exactly, I mean, that's what you want, right? If you want to be the best in the world, if you, whatever your, your goals and ambition are, you want to pick somebody like Chashri to be that person who's leading the charge and who will show you the ropes because not many people have the kind of experience and knowledge base that Chatri has. So, I mean, I encourage you guys send, send your videos in and try out because it's been a really great experience for me so far. This is one for everyone else out there. It's if you had one piece of advice, what would you give to a potential applicant or someone who's already applied to join The Apprentice? What's that one piece of advice? Well, look, find, um, make sure in that video that you find the piece that makes you stand out, the piece that makes you, you unique. And, um, and, and, and um, speak from the heart. I mean, Chatre, I feel like it, he relates to people who are passionate, people who are real, people who are authentic. And um, everybody has something, an element about them that, that um, makes them unique, right? So, so you know, don't, don't be generic what you're sending in don't read from a script you know speak from the heart and uh, let your passion be what comes out in that video and um, I mean I think that would definitely up your chances Misha thank you very much it's been fantastic talking to you um, so this was Misha Tate you know world champion to now vice president at one championship thank you you're absolutely welcome thank you <laughs>